All right, how's it going? It's Matt, you listen to episode 149 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. So I've got a lifer episode this time around with the great Shelby Stanger. Now, if you're a regular listener, you're going to know what I mean when I use the word lifer. It's one of those episodes where I speak to somebody who's, you know, not got the profile of other guests, but has an equally interesting story about how they've made their own little career in this industry and carved out a particular niche that's enabled them to you know live the lifestyle that they want really always always very successful these episodes very popular because I think people like hearing how you know for want of a better phrase ordinary people have done it and uh, yeah this is one of those a bit meta as well hateful word gonna use it meta why well because our careers that's me and Shelby are actually pretty similar, which I didn't quite realise until we had this conversation. I mean, you know, look at the circumstances that got us into the industry, our progress through it, even down to the way we ended up coming up with, you know, similar ideas for podcasts at around the same time, although Shelby was a bit more ahead of the game than me. Now, I've never actually met Shelby, but we have known each other across the internet in the modern way for a couple of years now. One of the really fun things about having a podcast in the uh, action sports world is the camaraderie that exists between everybody else who's got one. Because there's not many of us. It's, you know, there's there's probably between five and ten now people who are running similar things to me. And yeah, everyone's very helpful, very friendly. Whether that's Chris Cote, Lauren Hill, Chris from Downtime or Shelby. And that was completely my experience with Shelby from the start. It was clear she's a bit of a hero. And I know this because a couple of years ago, she went out of her way to give me some really useful and hard-earned advice when I really needed it. And since then, we've checked in every now and again and finally agreed a few weeks ago to sit down and have a chat for the show, which is what you're going to listen to now. As you might imagine, if you've listened to any of Shelby's own podcasts, and, and I'm pretty sure we do share a fairly high number of listeners this is a great yarn from an expert empathetic storyteller i really enjoyed this and i do really like these episodes of the shows where it's just very relaxed i think it's fair to say so relaxed this one or at least i was anyway that it almost took shelby by surprise really she was a bit like what is this the podcast um which i left in because i always do but I knew from the minute she opened her mouth, we were in safe hands. So thanks, Shelby. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for such a lovely, warm conversation. Here it is. I'll be back at the end for more of the usual. But yeah, here's me and Shelby. Enjoy. Cote is literally texting me now. And he said, I've done Looking Sideways podcast. Yeah, Chris, a couple Chris of years Cote. ago. Yeah, yeah. He's a good dude. He is a nice guy, yeah. He's just, I'm just, I was over there two years ago. Because um, you're, are you in Cardiff? I'm right next door. I'm in Solana Beach. Ah, uh, okay, right. I was born so, yeah. and raised in Cardiff, though. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. So I came over like a couple of years ago and did, basically drove from Ventura to San Diego and did I about, remember. I think we did like 15 and 10 days podcast i was quite frazzled by the end of it 
Anyway, we're doing a book. We, um, me and my friend Owen, who you did the pictures with. Owen is so lovely. You guys are talented. So if we're not so after, let's talk biz because I feel like I can help you guys. Sure. Make a yeah. lot more money. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're doing this book and Chris has done a chapter. That's that's the point of the story. Bless him. So he's he's written that's awesome. The, he's written the Encinitas intro. Um, oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, you'll have to send me your address. So it's hopefully be done in about a month, maybe. Oh, yeah. I'll pimp it for you. That's amazing. Yeah, I just had him on Vitamin Joy because I wanted to talk about... So Vitamin Joy is all about health with humor. And I wanted someone to talk about sobriety because there's this big movement in January. Everybody's like becoming sober. But a lot of people aren't, you know, didn't have a real problem before. But I'm also really interested in humor. And I was like, Chris is a guy who's become sober, but is also one of the funniest guys I know. And I wanted to ask him how humor helped him with sobriety or if it was part of his journey. And it was an interesting conversation. He's quite a few years in now, isn't he? I think. Yeah, he's got six and a half years. Right. Alcohol free. I'm six weeks. <laughs> you are? Congrats. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's permanent. It's it's more like the... I'm six hours. No, I'm fe- it's more like the feast and famine, you know, <laughs> like drink beer, drink beer, drink beer for like months and then like, oh, I can't do it anymore. So like, you know, start whipping myself, do yoga yeah. every day, no beer. So I'm six weeks into that. We'll see how long it lasts. I kind of feel like I might do it until the end of this lockdown because we're on our third lockdown here now and I did the first two pretty much pretty drunk you know like you know, you know what I mean like every night sort of like a few beers yeah um I was like I can't do that again that's not it's not good for my mental health or soul it's just hard to write and be really crisp the next day yeah you can't that's what I find yeah exactly yeah. So, but I'm sure a beer in you know where you are just sounds delicious, especially if it's cold outside. I can see that. You gotta switch to just soda water or like kombucha or I don't know something else. Mint tea. Done. Tea. Perfect. I got my tea, and actually, I have a Royal Navy cup. <laughs> so you do. Where'd you get that from? I have a girlfriend who does PR for the Navy, and she was stationed out there, and she just brought it for me. She's really? boss. Yeah, she was on she was on one of our like USS Roosevelt's and I'm being a female and like officer in the navy is it's a pretty ballsy job but I don't know. I don't know why she got this for me, but I really love small cups. Yeah, that's and big uh, cups. You you're repping. That's that's a classic British logo you've got right there. That's a timeless very bit cute. of timeless bit of British signage. There you go. Are um, we starting? Is this the yeah, podcast? This, yeah, this this is this is it. <laughs> this happens. Awesome. This, this is the podcast. So chill. Yeah. I don't edit them either. So, um, yeah, this is it. Oh, great. This is, it's, it's happening. Yeah. So how are you? You're right. I'm good. Thank you. We have beautiful weather today. There's surf. I can hear winds, which means it's a little bit offshore. You know, we're, we're hanging in there. We're really lucky too. So, and I'm finally talking to you. We've been you yeah. know, dancing around with this for a while. So this yeah, is we- exciting. We did it. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Um, so what board are you going to take out? Because because uh, obviously I'm looking at the 10 yeah, that surfboards. Was, that was a, that was a, you know, I think I've got a lot of like fire wires and like kind of weird, cool shape boards. 
I think I'm literally going to take just a fast Almeric traditional shortboard today. Yeah. It's like 28 liters, which is fine. And it's just, I need, I kind of want to like work on shortboarding again. Right. Nice. Well, you got the waves for it over here. Today we have some waves. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll ride the little, little dude again. Yeah. I mean, you've had like an amazing run of swell, right? By the looks of it. Yeah. We had an amazing run of swell in all of January. And, you know, I I had some work in January, but the world was just so weird and I wasn't feeling it. And everything I do is like, I have to, I have to create to make money. I just didn't feel like creating. So rather than beat myself up on it, about it, I just surfed for about a month, which is not something I've ever done before. And I helped family and I helped friends and I'm really glad I did that because now I have a really big project in front of me that I kind of put off in January and I'm able to do it. And so it's been 10 days since I've, you know, we had this huge run of swell and then it rained and I'm really particular about not surfing after it rains just because I got really sick last year surfing right. after it rained. So I learned my lesson and no one wants to get sick right now no. um, and burden our system any more than it is. So yeah, it's been uh, 10 days since I've surfed, but I'm ready to go back out today. Maybe it's been get, eight days. Do you get the freelance guilt when you... I'm quite impressed by the way you've described that because I think, obviously, you're freelance. You've been freelance your whole career, right? Pretty much. No, I had corporate jobs. I worked for Vans right out of college. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. Um, but, you, but, but, you, basically but you've been a journalist. For the last decade. And, yeah. Yes. For the so last how, decade, I've been 100%. How are you with the, the, the guilt? The, uh, you know, it's... Because you just described the rhythm of working, didn't you, basically? You know, and, and like recognizing your own rhythm of working. Yeah. Which I think is, I still haven't learned it, really. Like, I, I, think, I, I, I think like this year, I've got I've got a bit better at it, basically, because I've been indoors for nine months. And, um, you know, you can, I've not been bound to an office. I used to have an office, so like I used to sort of do office hours and all that stuff. Um, but I still find it quite difficult. So I'm quite impressed that you were just able to say like, yeah, not feeling it, going to not do that for, for four months. Is that something you've learned? Well, it definitely wasn't four months. It was four weeks. Sorry, four it, weeks. It, four it was, weeks. I was still working. So I was still had my REI job. So I kind of like, for me, I like being the goalkeeper. I was a goalkeeper in soccer. I played like Olympic development, played in college. Oh, really? I like being like the weirdo on my own schedule, but right. having a team in front of me. So for me, you know, my podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living, I sold it to REI, which means I have a job now. So REI now pays me to host the show. They bought it. They gave me a lump sum of money for the podcast, and then they pay me a lump sum every year to host the show. So I have a little bit of a cushion right now, which is why I can do that. Without a cushion, that's hard, but I've really learned my energy over the year. Like the reason why, part of the reason why I had this great job at Vans right out of college up until I was very young. I ran women's marketing and PR. And then when they realized I couldn't barely dress myself, let alone style a bunch of girls for a photo shoot, they're like, <clears throat> let's not fire Shelby. Let's move her to a better position. And they gave me international sales and marketing, which was awesome. My territory was Australia, Asia, New Zealand, all of Latin America, um, Canada. It was just awesome. But I didn't like I didn't like having to work between nine and five because that's not necessarily when I was most productive. And I didn't like commuting and spending two hours because I lived in Laguna Beach, which was the furthest north I would live. I just needed, I'd like to live near nature. I lived in a shack, like 300, 
20 square foot studio apartment. But I lived across the street from the beach. Um, and that's what I could afford. And whatever, long story short, I didn't love commuting. And I'm really productive really early in the morning. And then, you know, around lunchtime, I'm not so productive. And then, you know, in the afternoon, and then I'll get like another wind, like late afternoon. And so I've just learned to lean into my energies and work when I need to work. That being said, like I've also trained myself to just show up and do the work no matter what. I'm also at this point in my career, you know, I'm motivated by different things. So if I know I'm getting paid to do something, I show up and do it. It's like on autopilot. But one thing I've done this year that's been a real game changer is I just do whatever is hard in my day first. And sometimes that's working out. Like if I'm training for something, sometimes if like the waves are big, I'm like, I'm just going to surf and get it over with first because I'm like a little intimidated. Um, but I just try to be really kind to myself. Listen, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes I have to work and do things I don't want to do at odd times. But there's a great book by Stephen Pressfield about the war of art. And I think if you just keep showing up and doing the work, you figure out your own rhythms. But yeah, I've just learned this year, like beating myself up about, I did, I, I'm on deadline for this writing project. That's, it was daunting to me. And um, it's a bigger writing project. I'm not even going to put my mouth on it, but basically I'm writing something that is big and takes a long time. So you can figure out what that is. <laughs> and it's a bit daunting to get it done because there's so much to say and I care about my work. But I just decided like, I'm not going to beat myself up on it. I'm going to enjoy this journey. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get paid for this piece of work or not, but I feel really called to do it. So I'm going to do it no matter what. I have this little cushion right now where I can do that, which has been awesome. Yeah. Um, That's helpful. But yeah, for years as a freelancer, I just <laughs> had to figure it out. I mean, there was years where I would just go to a coffee shop at 6 a.m. every single day when you could go to coffee shops. And I would just stay there until from six to nine and I would just write and I would work on the thing that I needed to work on. I was pretty disciplined, but it ebbs and flows, you know, your energy ebbs yeah. and flows, your, your, and I've, I've been interviewing a lot of performance researchers and I learned something really fascinating yesterday from Stephen Kotler. He wrote this book called the art of impossible and they basically studied, like, I think it was McKinsey, which is a consulting firm. They studied all these corporations and workers And they found that if they can chunk a really focused amount of work into 90 minute blocks, and I know what you're saying, you're like 90 minutes, who is 90 minutes to focus? Well, they found that they're 500% more effective in getting their work done, which basically means you could work Monday and take off the rest of the week and go surfing. And to me, those kinds of statistics are really interesting in how we work. And so... I don't know, just the last couple of days, because I have this writing project, I was like, okay, I'm going to close the door, Johnny. Even if you're going surfing, like, just don't tell me. I've got 90 minutes. Um, If you can knock off four hours to do something hard, like, let's say it's, let's say it's like your taxes or, I don't know, you're, you're planning something hard. If you can chunk four hours, that's even better. But 90 minute blocks supposed to be really good for you. Yeah, it's like that thing called the Pompadouro technique. Have you ever heard of that? It's yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, the Pomodoro. The, Those are timers. Yeah, exactly. But is it Pomodoro, not Pompadour? Pomodoro. I think it, I it just, Pompadour, it's a tomato I? timer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and that's a similar thing, isn't it? Like half an hour, like take a break, like allot your time carefully. Yeah, I think the internet has definitely scrambled my brain to a <laughs> ridiculous degree as well. So I need, you know, like I certainly don't work the way I used to when I was younger. 
because I think when I was younger, I was just less distracted, really. I think, you know, it, it's hard not to be distracted by the amount of input that's around right now. But I've definitely, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. I like that. I like the doing the hard thing first. So sometimes, if I remember, I try and do that because then it, because then it almost unlocks the day, doesn't it? Because it's like the thing that you've subconsciously been putting off. If you just do it, it's like everything else seems quite straightforward after that, doesn't it? And you've you kind of got that sense of accomplishment because you did the thing that you were sort of subconsciously putting off. I kind of forget to do that though. I should I should remember to do that. I mean, if you have more energy in the afternoon, then do it in the afternoon. I'm just a morning person. Like I'm, I'm morning. I'm morning. Okay. Like if I've if well, I've got if I've got a deadline, I'm up at five. You know, like and I want to be working nice. like five thirty six just to because same as you, I've just realised that's when I don't know what it is. It's almost like the ritual as well of of getting up at that time and the quiet. You know, helps clearly. Yeah. But I can't I can't work late. I'm not somebody that you know, I'm I'm kind of done by two, really. I can't really <laughs> do anything after can't too. really do anything after that. I can't work at night. You know, like I've got well, Owen, like me and Owen, hilarious. So we've been trying to do the book proofs. And we arranged to do it Monday night. When are we now? Thursday at eight thirty. And I fell asleep. <laughs> eight thirty at night, that is, which I think is when he starts winding up for for work really you know he'll he'll i'll get messages from him at like one or two in the morning kind of thing i am long in bed by then so we keep we but keep missing each other it's late there right now so i don't have you at your peak Five thirty now daylight this is exciting that is this exciting is, yeah we're, we're moving towards springtime very exciting yeah so you're doing so you're doing a book but you don't want to tell me what it is <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it because I just feel like it's when it's written, I'll tell you, I'll talk to people about it. Cause you know, I've tried to write a book for years and years and years, but I am, I am interested. It's an idea that you've, that you've had that you're like, just going to sort of, I'm not going to try and drag it out of you, but in terms of the, you know, the approach, like you're like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. Yep. I'm going to go for it. How's it going? It's going well. I'm just, you know, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to go, you can talk about anything else. (laughs) I'll talk to you about it when it's done okay. and out in the world okay. because these things take a long time and you never know. So I'd rather just spend my energy doing it than talking about it. Yeah. Um, good, good approach. I could be writing a long article. We don't know. I could be writing a website. Yeah. I could be writing a treatment for a TV show. Yeah. I'm actually, yeah. yeah so they're all long I'm form. Work- I am working on quite a few different writing projects and I will tell you treatment for a TV show is one of the things I'm working on, which is exciting. I also can't talk about it because it's with somebody with an NDA, but it's all good. All of them are, I'll tell you, all of them have to do with adventure. Right. Because I believe that adventure is life's antidote. And, you know, there's all these people talking about like breath work and all this stuff is good. Meditation's good. Breath work's good, whatever. But like just go outside and go surfing or go skiing or go snowboarding or go ride your skateboard. I just feel like a little adventure has been the cure to a lot of problems for me and a lot of problems for a lot of the people I know. And I encourage people to have an adventure, whatever that looks like for them whenever possible. And I know it's hard right now. It's really hard during COVID and quarantine and adventure has to look a little differently right now. But I'm all for promoting it. Is that was that where the idea for the 
wild ideas came from was that was that at the heart of it when you had the idea because what is it now you like five years in with the with the show yeah yeah so I think for me there had been so many times in my life where I felt stuck like literally depressed stuck did not know which direction to go and the only thing that unstucked myself it was you know all this stuff is good therapy meditation eating really well you have to be healthy to make healthy decisions but the times I've you know, gone on a surf trip that was just, you know, I went to, in, so when I quit my job, I went, I got invited, when I quit my job at Vans, it was really did not make any sense on paper at the height of the recession, when magazines and newspapers were folding every day, to quit my job to be a journalist, like zero cents on paper. I made a million pro con lists and they didn't add up. And I got really upset. One, because I was like, here I am, like, this spoiled millennial, I'm not even millennial, I'm actually Gen X, but, you know, with this great job that all these people would Team dream Gen of X. having. Yeah, exactly. But I I wanted to be a writer and tell stories about adventurers going for it. And in, in when I was trying to leave Vans, I started freelancing on the side. And I remember interviewing all these cool adventurers. Like one guy was a lifeguard who for fun would paddle to Catalina, which is like 28 miles or so. And then he'd run a marathon around the island and paddle back for fun. And like then I followed a group of moms that would skateboard these underground, well, they weren't underground, these, these pools in these mansions. They would hop the fence of this area that had been ravaged by fires, but the pools were still in existence. And they'd, <laughs> they'd hop the fence, go skateboard these pools. And these were moms. So I was hanging out with these really badass people. And I think, and hanging out with them and listening to their stories I started to get the courage to kind of quit my job, which was amazing on paper. All my friends, I had so many friends at Vans who were like family, to go pursue writing full time. And Quick when question. I quit, I got, Quick yeah. Quick question. Why, why did you quit? You know, I wanted to be a writer. I'd, I'd been, I wanted to be a writer since I was young. So when I was 15, I won an essay contest. Um, the teacher said, hey, if you enter this essay contest for the newspaper, I'll give you extra credit. If you win, you get an automatic A. And I was like, easy, done. So I entered and I wrote a story that was impactful to me and I won and that gave me some confidence. And the next year I got a job writing for a magazine that was by, for, and about kids. And it was based in DC. I'm in California, but my sister was studying, a, studying in Washington DC that time. So she met the editor, hooked us up, was like, Hey, my sister's a decent writer. I landed the job and I wrote about, my mom taught human behavior, sexual education, drugs and alcohol prevention at San Diego State University. And I interviewed one of her students who was date raped. And you know, I'm a 16 year old reporter doing this really heavy article. And then I had a family member who really struggled with alcoholism growing up. And so I wrote about growing up in a family with alcoholism. And it got printed, went to every single high school that accepted this magazine around the country. And kids wrote in and they were like, hey, your story really affected me. This was empowering. And then I remember there was this really cool girl on my soccer team who, you know, she partied a lot. I didn't think she read, but she came up to me one day after practice and she's like, Shelby, I shared your article with my boyfriend and he decided he's going to get help for, you know, alcoholism. And I was 16. So at 16, I learned words could travel pretty far. Yeah, that's and amazing. I studied journalism in college. I started writing an adventure column in the local newspapers in San Diego when I was 19. I worked for a newspaper in South Africa. 
and covered all sorts of amazing stuff at age 20. I worked at CNN in college. Wow. Um, yeah, it was cool. So I was like in it. And then Vans hired me to be the journalist for the Warp Tour right out of college. And it was just the dream job. You know, you're 20 years old. Tw I was 21, turning 22 in 2002. And my job was to write, a, well, it's called a blog now. Back then it was called like a daily diary. And I had to write about everything that happened during the Warp Tour, like during the day. And then I would profile one aspect, whether it was a musician, a band, um, for those who don't know, the Vans Warp Tour is the longest running punk rock music festival that goes to about 60 cities and 60 days around the country, all sorts of shenanigans, and it's like a traveling punk rock circus. And they didn't really want a girl to be the journalist for the job. At I was going to say, it's quite quite a blokey male environment. Yeah, it was a, it was a dude fest, but... yeah. But I had met the PR guy at Vans when I was working in Atlanta and I met him at the Vans skate park and he's like, you should, you should come work for us. And I was like, dude, I'm still in college. My mom won't let me graduate. <laughs> but I graduated early from, from Emory, a school in Atlanta, Georgia, where I, where I studied journalism. And I went to Fiji, Australia, New Zealand and backpacked and camped the whole way. It was amazing. I did six weeks there and then I came back and I, I called my friend at Vans. I, all my friends still had a semester left to graduate. And I was like, do you have anything for me? And he's like, no. And then one day he called me like two days after. He's like, actually, there's this job opening for the Vans Warped Tour. There's a guy who's scheduled to do the job, but we think he just wants to be like in a band. And I was like, I have no desire to be in a band. Um, and I think he might have been using some substances. I was like, listen, I don't use substances. I'm pretty drug free. <clears throat> They're like, okay, but they want a, they want a, they want a guy. I was like, well... You know, I don't have a wiener, but I'm, I can hang. I just went, I went to like Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, and I'm not interested in punk rock looking boys. I like preppy boys that surf. So I think I'm going to, I'm not going to be hooking up with anybody on tour. And they're like, okay. So I literally drove up to Vans. I asked, I asked them on the spot. I was like, Hey, who's the guy hiring for it? They're like, it's the VP of marketing. I was in San Diego, uh, living in my mom's house and she was making me pay rent the day I moved back home. Um, so I needed to get out fast and long story short, I drove up to LA and the guy's hiring for the job. Um, the guy hiring was moving to Canada and then he had me interview with some people lower than them. And they asked me all sorts of really inappropriate, funny questions like, like, do you have a tattoo? And I was like, yeah, one of my assets says this side is up. I mean, I was like this really brash 22 year old just, you know, <laughs> and they're like, do you like punk rock? I didn't really love punk rock, but I lied. And I said my favorite band was Blink-182 and I got the job and uh, I know this is a long story, but that that summer was pretty incredible. Like to be 22 years old, and my bunkmate was Steve Van Dorn. He like uh, was I in the top? I think I was on the top bunk, and he was on the bottom bunk. And I we would get to a news tour stop every day, and his daughter Christy was on the tour, and she really like kept an eye out for me um, because that girl could hang and. It was just so cool. Like Steve Van Dorn is probably one of the nicest, coolest guys ever. And he gives free shoes to random people at like McDonald's parking lots in Kentucky. If they like one kid, I remember we stopped. We were in the middle of nowhere. And this kid was like, hey, you're the Vans guys. Look. And he did an ollie. And Steve was like, oh, my God, that's so rad. And gave him, you know, he had just a stack of like shirts and shoes in the car. I mean, he's such a good dude. Amazing. Um, it was so cool. So it was just a fun summer. And, you know, I had to figure out a lot on that tour. Like every day it was yeah, before no Wi-Fi. You had to figure out how to send your stories in. And it required an internet connection. But 
warp tours are held in dirt parking lots of fairgrounds. So it basically meant I had to find someone to take me to a Kinko's or I had to find a phone line. And the phone lines were occupied by the tour managers who were really scary and really intimidating to my 22-year-old self. They were probably like 35. But I was 22 or they had mohawks and they were just daunting. By the way, I learned that like the people with the scariest mohawks were like the nicest guys. They'd yeah. probably been through their own personal hell and they were just so lovely. But I had to find someone who would take me to a Kinko's so I'd find the most unlikely axe murder looking kid I could find and I'd beg them to take me to a Kinko's or to their mom's house. I'd use their phone line and I had to make it back to the bus before it left the next day. Um, so that's how I first got into Vans. It was like a journalism job and it was awesome. And then I did marketing and marketing was cool and I got a business education. I couldn't have paid USC business school to give me or even Wharton. It was amazing. But at the end of the day, I was like, ah, I'm not writing. And so yeah. I started writing on the side and at night and I was getting a lot of opportunities. Like I got asked by MTV to do this show. I got asked by another and I had to say no because I had this amazing job with health insurance, a really good paycheck, benefits, friends, consistency. And writing was unknown. Like all my journalism professors even told me like being a freelance writer is a terrible career. You'll make no money. Um, and I don't know, I was just raised in a family where my mom was like, oh, just do what you love. Like she didn't like raise me with a ton of financial common sense. But um, what she did was she raised me to follow my passion, which was really nice. And I, I won't say that it's been easy to make a living as a journalist and storyteller. But if you measure success by money, you know, maybe I'm not the most successful, but if you measure success by experience and what you've learned and what you've contributed and being fulfilled, I feel like I've had a pretty good career. With with the journalism, it's so, you know, usually it comes from when you were a kid, right? So were you quite a bookish kid? Were you quite, you know, you would like it was kind of when you were younger, you were like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Because to be honest, it's, that story's quite similar to mine, really. Um, and, and the reason that I, the question I was Tell me ask your is, story. <laughs> uh, like I just got a gig in the industry quite young as well uh, over here in Europe and yeah same thing always wanted to be a journalist um from when i was really young lucky enough to start writing about snowboarding when i was like 17 over here and then just kind of went from there and it sounds sounds quite similar you know like getting a few opportunities didn't really know what i was doing kind of had to blag it you know that's just how you make a career isn't it especially yeah in, in an industry as niche as the one we've ended up sort of being lucky enough to have careers in but I guess my question is because I had the same conversation like when I, when I was 20 I got offered a job at a newspaper in the north of England just before I finished university but I was also writing for this snowboarding magazine at the time and I turned down the the newspaper job you know one of those sort of sliding doors moments let's say and but there was no it like Back then, you know, it wasn't like you could get a career as an action sports journalist. It just didn't really exist, you know, like, so it was a real punt to sort of try and do that. And I, but I was probably like, yeah, I was just a bit like, well, I just want to go snowboarding and skating and fuck around. I'm 20, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go work in a, for a newspaper. So I guess my question is like, did you, was the goal just to be a journalist? Cause you mentioned CNN, you mentioned South Africa, you know, like 
that that's actually a bit more of a conventional path to journalists was that to, through journalism was that was that like originally what you thought you would end up doing like you would you would kind of have that more conventional path but as this developed you were like I, ah I can maybe go this way I don't know I always saw kind of always saw myself like forming my own path just like being the goalie like you're on this team but you kind of are the weirdo on the team you know, when I was 19, I remember pitching the LA Times and was like, hey, I got on the phone to the editor-in-chief of the LA Times. I'm like, listen, I want to report about action sports for you guys. It's hot. It's cool. I already have this column. And I had a really good journalism background. So like Emory, they got rid of their journalism program, unfortunately, but they had some radical teachers. My first class, first day, we had to choose between a list of assignments. And I remember one of them was spend the night at a homeless shelter and write about it, which is pretty amazing to do it age 18 19 um that's real journalism experience like that's as real as it gets yeah. and they would they were gnarly like if you weren't ethical and you didn't fact check your stories you didn't um verify your quotes i mean that was like real i don't know if people do that anymore but we had to do that we couldn't take free gifts um yeah where am i going with this but you're asking oh but yeah so i asked the la times guy like hey can i I want to be your action sports journalism. And he kind of just laughed. He's like, listen, that's cool, but that doesn't really exist. And even when I was an intern at CNN, I had this amazing internship. I was at the fact-checking desk, which I know sounds really funny because there was literally a desk where you fact-check all the stories that go before they come on air. And it's literally the desk where if you're watching CNN, it's the desk behind. So like I would walk purposely back and forth behind the camera and like call my mom and be like, mom, turn on CNN. She could see me working <laughs> in the background. <laughs> and I would wear like, like shirts like this. And my boss would be like, do you have anything other than that tank top? And I'm like, but it's like a sweater tank top. You know, he just like, didn't get it. Um, yeah, it was the South, you know, it was also like, I was all, I already stuck out like a sore thumb riding a skateboard to class and wearing tank tops in the South um, or nice sweater tank tops. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I just remember talking to this guy at the LA times and he sort of laughed and CNN, I tried to get them to let me cover surfing and all sorts of stuff. And they're like, ah, that's not really a thing, but I was like, it's gonna be a thing. Trust me. And so, you know, through the LA times, I actually had an introduction to vans also through them. They're like, right. You know, you should meet this PR girl that works for the vans warp tour. So I don't know. I mean, I ha I think having traditional journalism is really important and makes you a really good writer. Like writing a daily story every day on deadline, that's hard. You it's get really good at writing. Isn't it? Yeah, it um, te te teaches you like the, the yeah. discipline of the real world, isn't it? You know, essentially. Totally. And I think blogging is really hard. Like people who write daily blogs, like that's, that's not easy. Um, I have a lot of respect for people who do that. Anybody who pursues art for art's sake or who's a journalist i have a lot of respect for it's not an easy job and it's changed unfortunately i don't know yeah. if people fact check like they used to <laughs> i was gonna say that sounds really old-fashioned now doesn't it the idea that facts would be that important because being that being that we're now living in the old post post fact world and all that um, we also weren't allowed to use your opinion in stories like i never i haven't watched i hadn't watched local news in a long time and then i turned on local news during the pandemic because Right now, we're only getting news that's really catered to exactly where we are right now. We're not getting a lot of great global news, I don't think. Um, I think everybody's really just, you know, because everything's different in every single city and every state right now, how we're approaching this pandemic. So yeah, I just didn't know. I was blown away that you could inject your opinion into stories. 
because I hadn't watched local news in so long. And it's all opinion. It's so bizarre. Not all yeah. opinion, but it's a lot of opinion. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit more editorializing, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So you got the so you got the van's job, and you, but but you basically still had this calling, let's say. Yeah. So I moved big, to Colorado, and I was like, decision. okay, yeah, I was gonna either work for the LA Times and take a job like you suggest, like you had, and the job offer was nineteen thousand dollars for the year, and I was like, I don't know how you live on that. 19 grand a year that's no money um so i was going to work at the la times which probably would have been really good experience or i decided to instead move to breckenridge colorado where i'd never spent any time in the snow and i was going to write about snowboarding and learn to snowboard nice. and um i wanted to wait tables i know that sounds really weird but i was kind of a nerdy kid like i had this pretty big trajectory i was a little bit of an overachiever and I only had real internships. I never had a real dumb job like with at the frozen yogurt or ice cream shop. And I wanted to wait tables. And um, I had no experience. And so I got, I got a job eventually at this place called Mikasa in Breckenridge, Colorado. And like a, I like spilled Diet Coke. I remember on like the first person <laughs> I carried a tray out of Coke. I was a terrible waitress. But like when I was, but the first day on the job, there was a guy at one of the tables and I was like, isn't that the guy who hosts the local cable access TV show, like Wayne's World in Breckenridge? So it was, it yeah. was called Resort Sports Network. And it was this guy named Biff America who hosted the Biff America show. And, and she's Biff like, America. yeah, that's him. Biff wow. America. I was like, can I, can I, do you know who Glenn Pleck, Pleck, Pleck is? There's this like Glenn famous Pike. skier and yeah, Glenn Pleck. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, hosts yeah. like Resort this Sports Network. So it's like. He's, it's kind of like him, but like in just Breckenridge, Colorado. So there's this guy who hosted the local show. And I was like, I'll trade you tables. And so I waited on him and I just said, hey, I'm Shelby. I love your show. You know, I was 22. This I was, I'd just come off the Warp Tour and moved there. Um, I was like, I love your show. If you ever need a co-host, I'm your girl. And he's like, actually, we're hiring someone for the Budweiser Buzz Spot. Why don't you come down to the studio? And I was like, awesome. And at the time... If you lived in Colorado in 2002 and you were a girl and you shaved your legs and you like paid a little bit of effort into your looks or whatever, you got away with murder because it was a ski town with all dudes. Um, <laughs> so I got the gig and I did some TV hosting as well. And then eventually I moved back to San Diego or moved back to California and took a job first at Pacific Sunwear, which was a disaster. And then eventually advanced. Right. Kind of a long right. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you were back. So this, so, and this was when you were at Vans, basically on staff working. You, as you say, in like marketing and sales, essentially. Right. Yeah. And how long did you do that for? I did it for five and a half years or so, and it it was, Vans was just booming. It was awesome. I mean, we, when I started, we couldn't get musicians to wear our shoes. Like they kind of didn't think Vans were that cool. Um, but we did a lot of product seating, and I remember one time. I mean. I did some dumb things when I was at Vans. I remember this band called um, my boss, Chris, um, and I answered the phone for him and I was like, hey, you know, and people would call all the time for free shoes. And eventually you're like, oh my God, another person who wants free shoes. This guy's like, hey, this is Elliot from The Cars. And I was like, your band's called The Cars? Like, <laughs> are you serious? And I was like, all right, I'll have him call you back. Um, but I had no idea who The Cars were. How clueless wow. was I? So That's sad. Brilliant. 
So my uh, boyfriend at the time like schooled me that night and he's like, I can't believe you did that. And then that's, that's boss... kind of great. That's kind of great though. My wife's got a similar story. There's uh, she used to work for a record label it, like EMI over here. And basically it's a guy over here called uh, tiny temper. Who's like a huge artist. Um, he's not actually released anything for a little while. And he, she, she was assigned to look after him. And she went in the room and was like, hello, is Tiny Tantrum around? You know, and they're all like, Tiny Tantrum, love. Like, who's that? <laughs> She's same thing, just didn't have a clue, you know. But I, th- I, think that's, I think that's kind of, that's nice though, isn't it? It's endearing. It's good. You know, you don't, you don't need was, to be totally on it the whole time. It was nice. I don't know. I mean, Vans was cool. I mean, I was really lucky. I got to deal with the international guys. And those guys are so passionate. And when we took a skateboarder to their country, I mean, the red carpet was rolled out. Yeah. So... And also traveling with Tony Alva and Steve Caballero or Christian Hassoy is, is quite the adventure in itself. Yeah. That was quite fun. Yeah. And you're building up your network and building up your, your contact book for future projects as well, which is also the kind of game, isn't it? You know, like, and, and that's one of those things that happens like incidentally, isn't it? You know, like you just kind of in your twenties, like doing this thing, taking these opportunities. And then when you do decide to start a podcast 10 years later, <laughs> Suddenly it's like, ah, I've actually got like quite a lot of people I could speak to for this. Yeah, I think I think one of the things about podcasting that I didn't realize, one, writing is hard. Talking is so much easier. But also, if you want to have your podcast be successful and make it a business, you have to have some marketing and sales as well. You can't just like hit play and record and expect people are going to listen to you, unfortunately. Sometimes it happens, especially if you're a celebrity or I don't know, maybe you're just talking about sex or I don't, I don't know. Maybe you got something really juicy that you're talking about, but people have to find out about you. You're, there's a lot of content out there right now. Yeah. So yeah, but podcasting has been awesome. It's so wild that you get to talk to so many people through this little microphone right into their ear and I don't know. It's just been the most rewarding thing I've done. I imagine for you too, it's just been so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just sort of started on a bit of a whim, really. I, I, I mean, I didn't, I had no expectations that it would go anywhere really. So I just kind of, I, for me, it was linked to journalism as well. Cause I, my day jobs in marketing as well. And it's quite similar to you. I just really missed journalism like I still work as a journalist I still write you know I still still work in snowboarding magazines and snowboard media I still write a lot for like UK press like newspapers and and you know a bit like you probably do like around around action sports but it's quite few and far between and as you know yourself like marketing yeah it's still storytelling but it's it comes with restrictions and it comes with particular um criteria let's say so I, I for me, I just thought, oh, that's a cool idea. It'd be a good way of like being able to just go back to being a proper, in inverted commas, journalist again, really. So, yeah, so that's yeah. how but exactly quite... how it happened for me too. Yeah, I was going to say I'm quite intrigued though because it sounds like a similar thing for you that, that you you wanted to get back to that thing that you had always driven you. And yeah. and and would you say that it was because I, I asked you earlier like about the adventure thing? You know, you kind of said like you believe adventure's got this really important role to play and it certainly played that role for you so 
because you 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 always had a really great angle on the podcast, right? With wild ideas worth living, you know, it's like a real particular way of telling those stories. Is that where that came from? That to try and sort of convey that message. Yeah, I mean, I mean, between vans and you know, when I started the podcast, I had a lot of jobs, and I remember I moved to Costa Rica to teach surfing to women. When I was there, I was writing copy for like Nike and Prana and all these other companies. I went in house at Body Glove. And then I just remember I was writing a story for Outside Magazine and they cut it so much. I interviewed Wim Hof, the breath guy. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, okay. I can, but can you hear me? My mic just went a bit funny, so I'm just checking it. So hence I, my puzzled I, face. I, I can hear you great. Um, great. So yeah, I just, I was interviewing all these amazing people and the stories were just getting shorter and shorter and they kind of made Wim Hof sound smarmy. And I was like, oh, this is a good, like Wim Hof's a good dude. He just wants people to like get in the ice and benefit themselves you know maybe one of his family members is interested in making a lot of money but whatever like whim is a good dude and they just kind of made him sound a little bit like a charlatan right. and i was like that's a bummer i interviewed all these cool people for the story i want that conversation to live in it's like raw pure form so everyone could hear him and i don't have to edit it and quotes don't have to get cut um so yeah podcasting so i, I was like I'm going to start a podcast. And I was scared. Like, I was like, who am I to start a podcast? And I really liked Tim Ferriss's show. Loved it. But I wish Tim had talked more about adventure and sports. And I wish he interviewed more women. And I kind of wished he was a girl. When, you know, was, and everybody's like, why don't you just start a podcast? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And someone who I look up to a lot in the surf industry, I had lunch with him. And he was like, you should take a strength finder test, Shelby. So I did it. And it's this thing that you can buy online and Basically, my strengths pointed me towards the fact that, hey, I was pretty uniquely qualified to host a podcast. Like, maybe I could do this. I knew a ton about journalism. I knew a ton about marketing. And for the last eight years after I worked at Vans, I reported about the action and outdoor sports industry for a site called shopeatsurf.com. So I'd interviewed hundreds of businessmen, um, learned a ton about business, but I'd never started a business. And I wanted to start my own business, but I was like, there's enough t-shirt companies out there. There's enough shoe companies. I'm pretty eco-friendly. I was like, the only thing I even know is media. I was like, yes, that's it. And at the very same time, I mean, this is the crazy thing. It's like when you decide what you want to do and it's positive and you're kind of meant to do it. I'm not normally like a hippie who believes in this stuff, but the universe tends to align. Like the day I quit my job, I got invited to literally go surf in Indonesia with eight of the best stand-up paddlers in the world to go surf these never been stand-up paddled waves of course i was not going to use a stand-up paddle on them i could barely catch a wave over my head that sounds so, yeah quite scary so it was <laughs> it was terrifying but awesome and brian keolano was on that trip and you know he coached me into my first like pretty decent wave um th that's guys like a he's like a hawaiian legend and he's like the lead stuntman on every movie including blue crush he's the kind of guy you want to be with you and you're terrified out of your mind in Indonesia. So when I started this podcast, I, I, I had a friend the day who was like, I was telling her about it while I was surfing. And she's like, Hey, you should take this business accelerator course. It's only for women. The woman who runs it is the head of entrepreneurship at UCSD. I got out of the car, put like wetsuit still on, called her. And she's like, Hey, the class started today, but you can totally come in. I like literally went to the class first day, somewhat soaking wet, you know, salty hair. And it was cool because day one, we wrote our business plan. And the last day of the class, which was week 12, we had to present our product to a team of investors that were going to show up. So that meant I had to have three shows 
produced, ready to go in 12 weeks. And I just said no to every PR job for the next 12 weeks, invested in myself, and I started Wild Ideas Worth Living. And the idea came to me, you know, I always tell people like pro-con lists are not really great and useful for making a decision. Not always. Like you can spend all the time in the world and sometimes a decision does not make sense on paper. But if you go outside in nature and you take a walk or you go for a surf or a run, usually the answer that is the right answer will come to you. And um, for me, you know, when I wanted to quit my job at Vans, like it didn't make sense. I developed this terrible depression. It took me like a full year to quit. Right. The podcast, it was a little quicker because I'd already been through that experience before. And I was in San Luis Obispo on a hike with my my partner and, and I was telling him about the podcast. And we just came up with all these names and they kept being taken on uh, GoDaddy. And I came up with Wild Ideas Worth Living. And I was like, I'm really interested in people who've made it a, taken a wild idea Whatever that is, maybe dressing up in drag and deciding to be the first outdoor drag queen or, you know, being a runner professionally, even though you don't fit the body type of a runner and you're 250 pounds or you ran across the country um, just because you wanted to. Like, I'm interested in people who do that because that's scary and it's inspiring. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a I'm not that tough. Like, I'm yes, I was a decent soccer player and a runner. But like, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of waves over my head. I'm scared of so many things. Um, and hanging out with people that are less scared than I am gives me the courage to be less scared and kind of go after the things I want to do. You say you say that though, but you've just, you know, over the conversation, you've described a lot of co- very confident decision-making or confident sound in decision-making. You know, like you've, because I always think, to a large degree, the point of life is about making decisions. That That's kind of what I think. You know, like, you have to have forward... Well, that's what works for me. Let's just put it that way. Like, you need forward movement. You know, you need you need to, like... And I, and I don't even mean, like, you need to have, like, this crazy master plan and you need to, you know, <laughs> like, you need to be driven by... Like, I don't really mean that. I, I'm, I, I even mean on, like, the total micro level of, like just make a decision like whatever it is like it can be as simple as walk walk the dog a different way around the block you know like or but but equally when you come to these moments in life that are transformational and important kind of a lot of it is about just making making a decision like and you can't you can't even you're, right. you're, ne- you're never going to know if it's the right decision or not but i kind of strongly believe that like the, just the act of making the decision is is the thing that's important and you kind of you kind of touched upon it earlier when you said, you know, like it's about kind of knowing when to when to move, when to when to kind of change things up. And I think if you well, and you said also like if you if you do that, the universe will kind of like provide you with the answers. I think we're kind of talking about the same thing, you know, like it's it's about decision making. And so I'm interested in that because you've said, on the one hand, like you find that process you know you said you, you're quite scared of of in a lot of ways but you've had the courage to do the things that are required when you needed to do it like and you've and you've taken some like pretty massive decisions that that must have been pretty intimidating like quitting quitting the job and i've also been there you know i had a, I, I i was like had a dream job that i left like a, at an important point didn't really want to do it to be honest but kind of knew 
that that had to do it and did it and it was kind of shit for a year but then it worked out you know what i mean like so I, i'm sure you know where i'm going with this question like where where are you getting that from where are you getting that kind of res- that reserve of courage to make those decisions because you make it sound oh and then i did this and then i did that and oh, well was, life was, isn't but, yeah life is not linear you know and i think that's really important life is not like this vertical line that you just sometimes you zig sometimes you zag like the best adventures sometimes take you down the wrong road and i think that's really important to remember I would say indecision is like where I've experienced the most <clears throat> hell. And like, you know, Dante will call it, it's, it's limbo. Like the place yeah. of inaction and action is, is literally hell. And that, I would that's, say the, what that's what I'm getting at. Like, you yeah, know, I the completely, year, I completely believe that personally. The year that I didn't decide to quit my job at Vans, I also was like hemming and hawing about a guy that was also perfect on paper, but he just wasn't my guy. You know, he, I've, probably would never have to work if I'd ended up with him like he was rich he was cute he was an actor all these things but like he wasn't my guy I didn't want to be with him at the end of the day um and and ending that relationship and ending that job both were perfect on paper but they weren't for me that was hard and I developed massive I'm not massive but I developed depression like I literally got diagnosed with depression and I tried to will it away because at that time, I thought as an athlete, I could will it away. Uh, that didn't work. I ran until I injured my foot. I swam in the ocean until I injured my shoulder. I went to a Buddhist monastery and meditated, and everybody called me a hippie. Um, that was healthy. You know, I did all these things that were healthy. I tried to take uh, over-the-counter drugs um, that were healthy. Like, I took something called Sammy. <laughs> I remember at night, I was... Uh, I went to bed and I took this high dose supplement to help with depression that the guy at Whole Foods or Wild Oats said was good for you. And I was dreaming about going surfing and I put on my wetsuit and I just remember having to go to the bathroom really bad. And it's kind of like a Pavlovian response when you put your wetsuit on and you hit the cold water and it gets to your waist and you're just like, you start peeing and it warms up your legs and it feels so good. And I just remember midstream being like, and like feeling my sheets and being, oh my God, I just wet my bed. And I was 29 years old and I just started laughing hysterically. And then I'm sure that laughter masked sadness because I was like, I need to get help. Like I am spinning and making no sense. And eventually you have to quit. And I love to use a surfing analogy. I'm sure surfers are going to like cringe and be like, this chick is so cheesy. But (laughs) if you're paddling for a wave and you hesitate, you're going to get worked or you're just going to miss the wave. If you paddle and you catch it, you you might still get worked. But at least you'll stand up and ride it for a little bit. Maybe you'll kick out. Maybe you'll get barreled. Maybe you'll catch the ride of your life. But you have to paddle out, and you have to go. And I'm like, otherwise, you're sitting on the beach, sandy, getting sunburned. You you have to get out there. So that's my mantra. You need people people to tell you that, though, and remind you of that, though, don't you? Like, uh, best advice I ever got in the Maldives, Aussie surf, a big day. I was like, fucking hell <laughs> on the shoulder and he's getting all the waves this guy good surfer bit of a dick to be honest but anyway he paddled, <laughs> past, he paddled past me and went you just gotta go mate like that simple and then next time obviously when i was in the spot and the and the set came and he's like looking at me like that i was like oh fucking hell like and you know paddled in got it and then that's that in it you know then you're like 
um that's that's all you needed you needed somebody to, to give you that little nudge you know but but you you, you need it from somewhere and it's i guess that's why i asked yeah it sounds like you've had to dredge it up at points to kind of work it out you know to sort of work I was work good. through a few situations let's say i didn't answer your question you're right um my mom is like pretty courageous and resilient and i think we just learned that at a really young age like from a really young age i was 11 my dad died of a sudden heart attack and i took with that like you know my sisters were older they were 15 and 19 when he passed away and for me it was so sudden like he said good night i love 11. you i was 11 and he i was almost 12 he wasn't feeling good he was a dentist, so of course he like was a doctor, didn't listen to his own vice. He described classic heart attack symptoms to his doctor, and his doctor's like, maybe you have heartburn, but come to the hospital and pick up a prescription. I have no idea why he picked up a prescription at the hospital. That's not normal. Uh, maybe it was back in 1992 or 91. So he, his doctor said, if you still feel shitty, stay at the hospital. My dad decided not to stay at the hospital. He drove home. On the way home, he had a heart attack in his car, still fished in the center divider in Encinitas, and died on the scene. And I remember my sister waking me up being like, dad's been in a car accident. Dad's been in a car accident. Get up, get up, get up. And I was like, fuck, he's dead. Like, I can't, but I really didn't think he was dead. I thought that I was going to go there and his leg was going to be in a cast and he was going to have bandages on his head like they had in the movies and we'd still have our dad. And I just remember going to the hospital. We opened the door of the emergency room. It was like 1130 at night. We we're the only ones there. And my mom's face was like white as a ghost. And I was like, is, is, he, is he dead? Is he dead? And she just like hugged us and cried. And I was like, I mean, I still get choked up telling this story. And I think I just took with that, like, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Like you, you have to live. And I think there were so many years where I took that lesson to an extreme. Like I wanted so hard to like hang with the boys and be an adventure writer when I quit my job in 2009 at Vans and I, I tried so hard to write for outside and stand up paddle journal and surfer magazine. And I did some stupid shit. Like I had never broken a bone or injured myself and had to go to the hospital until after 2009, when I proceeded to like break bones, slice my face open with a fin of, with a rail of a surfboard, cut my head open surfing I just wanted to like hang with the guys and prove I could do it. And I wanted to prove to that professor at Emory University who told me that freelance writers could never make a living. You could never just be a freelance writer. I just wanted to prove him wrong. I wanted to prove to like all the people at Vans who thought I was crazy that I could do it. So sometimes I took that lesson to an extreme. But, you know, now that we're, we've had this crazy pandemic, like I, I think my lesson that I listen to is a little bit different. I think it's like, hey, life is not guaranteed, but we also have to remember that the point of life, like what people are going to remember you for, is not what you did, but how you made them feel. And so I've kind of stepped back on like, yes, I'm trying to write, you know, this, I'll just say book, and I'm pitching a TV show, but like if they don't happen, I just don't care as much. Like, yeah. And I'm taking I, more time to like spend time with my nephews and my niece. And I've taught my 14 year old nephew to surf and it's changed his life. And I'm trying to be there for people. Um, no, I'm not taking a ton of like pick your brain calls, but I'm like just trying to be there for neighbors and friends right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you drive because what, that's what you're describing, isn't it? You're describing drive, you know, and obviously you've yeah. accomplished a lot and you've explained well, thank you. a little bit where that, 
where that comes from. Um, would I be right in thinking that that drive has been quite a defining trait over the years for you? Yeah, I'm like... Are you, a, are you quite yeah. notorious for it? Yeah, and I'm a competitive son of a bitch. Like, if you're going to tell me you're going to clean the trash faster than me, I'll be like, nah, that's, you're on. Like, my, my, my partner, well, we're like engaged forever. So sometimes I call my husband, sometimes I call my partner. People usually think I'm gay when I say that, which is fine, but um, he's a guy. Uh, you know, we we compete with a lot of things. We'll race each other running. And um, I don't know. I I have a lot of drive, but I also, I know that if I drive too hard, it's not super healthy. So I've just learned to kind of like find balance. So I want to do good work. You know, I have a lot of drive in some areas and some other areas, like brushing my hair and like what I'm going to wear. I just don't care <laughs> as much. I wish I did. I wish I had more drive in those areas, but like, I just want to play. I just want to do good work. I want to help people where I can. Yeah, I've kind of always had it. Um, it runs really deep in my family. I don't I don't really know where it comes from. But my sisters are killing it right now. Like one has a boxing studio chain. She's three in LA and they were all shut down. And instead of going broke and like closing her studios, they bought the largest boxing studio chain in the world. So she wow. now owns like, she went from three to owning six and 167 chains of this like fitness boxing studio because, you know, after my dad died, she started boxing and she just loves it. And she really wants people to be healthy and fit. And I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I do have a mom who is really resilient and dealt with a lot. And I think one of the other things she taught us is like, don't have secrets and deal with your shit. Like, um, alcoholism ran in our family. My sister, I can now share this cause she just shared on, on Instagram yesterday. She's 16 years sober, but like from the time I was nine, she was kind of out of the house at treatment center. And, um, you know, I was really scared to use alcohol, but it didn't mean that I didn't have any isms. You know, there was definitely a year when I was running cross country and just stopped eating. Like, so I think we've all dealt with our own stuff. Um, and when I had depression, my mom was like, you need to get help. Like you need to talk to someone. You need to maybe take medication. And I was really resistant. And eventually I was like, I did it my way, but I got help that I needed. Um, but I still believe that like the best help I've ever done has been like surfing and hiking and going outside and doing an adventure. I think when you do those things, one, being outside in nature is proven to like allow you to make these decisions way better than you could ever make inside. Um, there's all this neurobiology about it. But also, I, I just think that like, if you make a decision outside in nature and you do an adventure, you get this confidence that you could never have gotten before. And that will propel you. Yeah, well, they're all manifestations of, well, that, that that's like a healthy manifestation, isn't it? Of, of I mean, you, what we were you were describing, and I think I almost described earlier with when I was talking about the feast and famine trait that I've got. You know, it's self medicating, isn't it? Ultimately, you know, like whether yeah. whether you're whether you're like running too much, or you know, you described like when you've had difficult periods, like you know, you've you've like you said you flogged yourself in the sea. You run, you know, you're self medicating, aren't you? You kind of like, how can I find a way of coping with the situation that I'm in? And I. I can certainly understand that. Like exercise is definitely something that I like have a strange relationship at points because sometimes I'll just like massively overdo it. And in hindsight, I'll be like, yeah, okay, this 
it's actually not really about the exercise is it this it's about <laughs> you know something a bit deeper going on isn't there but on the drive question you know I'm quite intrigued you mentioned it's almost like calm down a little bit as you've got a bit older you know that the, do you think that's a natural part of getting older or is that something that you have purposefully tried to dial down I think it's both um and I think I have this like amazing partner that's like as mellow as it gets and so even keeled and he's just been so good for me um and also like I've learned that kindness is just a game changer like being not only kind to other people but to yourself and you have to be really nice to yourself and I don't know if I was always super super nice to myself you know like punishing these doing these runs so yeah I don't I think it's getting older though like you learn right you learn over and over you repeat the same mistakes and you're like okay that didn't work I'm not gonna do that like now you know I used to get ru injured running like every other week and now I'm like okay I know I can't for right now I can't run every day, but if I run every other day and I do like my prehab and rehab exercises, which are so tedious and boring and not as fun as running, I can run every day and I love running. It's like the most fun for me. I like running probably as much as I like surfing. It's just so freeing to me and fun, especially if I can do it on a trail. So I guess to answer your question, both getting yeah. older, getting some wrinkles and just getting wiser. Yeah. And give yourself a bit of permission. You know, if you don't, if you don't go for the run, have a, yeah. have a cake, have a cake instead. Don't really matter, does it? Like my, my wife, I've said this before on this show when I was having a similar conversation with somebody else, but my wife's great. She's always like, no one, no one cares what you do. <laughs> like the only person that cares is you. And the sooner you realize that the happier you'll be. I was like, Oh yeah, my God, Johnny, Johnny and your wife would get along so well. Cause he's always like. Yeah, he's like, no one cares. Like, you're so self-absorbed. Like, and he just teases me and makes fun of me. And I was like, you're right. I'm totally in my own head. And the dynamics sound quite similar, I must say. Like, that's that is, good. That's that's pretty funny. Well, yeah. double date then. And uh, well, we're due a trip. I've got to say, we are. You know, one of the things I keep. I'm having a lot of conversations at the minute about. I mean, everyone in Britain is. I think like, where where are you going to go? <laughs> when we when we can leave Plague Island, where should we go? Um, and California is um, definitely on the list. Got a bit of unfinished business over there. Yeah. Um, so podcast then, you know, obviously we talked about wild ideas and you mentioned vitamin joy, but yeah, you've, you've managed to really create vitamin great... joy. I just like how you say it. You say it way cooler than I say it. <laughs> but you've managed to create this really brilliant situation for yourself. You know, like you've kind of cracked it in insofar as like doing it on your own terms which is for great. now i mean you know thank you i appreciate that you know for now for now it's a sweet spot and and everybody's like shelby your family looks so awesome and you guys are crushing it I'm, i would say the pandemic it has been so shitty for so many people and i feel terrible and for my family you know we've definitely experienced it um we've had loss death but man the one highlight is that i facetime with my sisters every morning and my mom and we never have had this like amazing relationship but we have the most amazing relationship and everybody's like oh you guys are amazing you guys have this incredible relationship i was like yeah but there's been like years and years of turmoil and like where it wasn't like this um so what i like to say is like when there's a sweet spot lean into it 
you know, I have a friend who loves to be uncomfortable and he's like, comfort is caustic and like, we should always be uncomfortable. And I was like, dude, life is uncomfortable. Like, why do you always have to be uncomfortable? It's like, you know, that whole David Goggins thing, like push yourself. Great. If you need to push yourself and your life is cushy, like push it. But I would say for the most part, life is uncomfortable. So like, if you can find those sweet spots, lean into them. Doesn't mean like you're sitting on your couch and eating bonbons, but like relish them, celebrate them. Don't feel bad about them. Well, that's also self-medication. I don't mean to harp on about this because it's not like a it's not like a particular hobby horse of mine, but it's just an observation, really. Like even that, like you know, every what's the phrase? Every theory is the autobiography of the theorist. You know, like that, I've heard that one. That, somebody saying that's you know is just giving you like quite a tell about what they're like themselves. You know, like because it's that's quite a yeah. It's like okay. Again, you're, you're, you're driven by something here, which perhaps the rest of us aren't. Certainly how I feel about David Goggins. When I <laughs> look at his output, I'm always a bit like, wow, okay, that's fairly intimidating. But again, he's obviously driven by something that's pushing him to do that, isn't he? You know. So what's the plan next? Apart from <laughs> it, the is, book, it is kind apart- of funny how some of the most amazing like athletes we've interviewed, like oftentimes they're driven by they've got some demons that they're driven by. You know, I I tend to learn that with a lot of my guests, either after they've told me or sometimes they'll be transparent on the podcast and um, I just send them love. (laughs) Like some of us are driven by our demons. Some of us are driven by our hopes. Uh, It doesn't matter. Like whatever. Sorry, what are you asking? Well, I was going to, on that point, I I had a really memorable conversation with a, a snowboarder once, quite a famous pro snowboarder who just said to me, like, I'm just a show off. And I really, I really liked that. I was like, at least you've said it. <laughs> he was like, I just like turning up in the park and being the best guy there, to be honest. Always have done, always will, you know, which is a very uncool thing to admit because most people are like, oh, you know, I just really, you know, pe- you don't hear that a lot. Like, but I, I quite, I was quite refreshed by the honesty of that. I was like, yeah, if, if I could go back for like a day and be someone else, I'd want to be one of those like really hot surfer girls who can surf in like a thong and just get away with murder and uh, do amazing like airs and get barreled and not be scared. And um, I think those girls have a lot going on for them. Like it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Right they, they can just wear like floss up their butt. and It looks good. I'm like, what the hell? Like that is so epic to me. Um, yeah, for a day, it would be, it would just be fun to just be one of those like hot girls. who's like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to go surf in my thong and, you know, rip and like get barreled and shacked out of my mind. I, I think it's, I think it's hilarious. I think it's really cool to see these little girls that are just charging, obviously not in thongs, but like they're just whatever they're wearing, they're wearing, but they're just so cool. Like to me these days, the Groms are just, they, they light me up. I get so excited when I'm at seaside or cardiff and there's a little girl that's like 12 years old doing a massive air in front of my face yeah well that's that's definitely when you know you're getting old isn't it that suddenly everyone <laughs> the suddenly there's 12 year olds so like <laughs> better than you'll ever be on, on that point cool. though on on the the aging kind of point do you, do you and the drive thing do you like because another part of getting old is definitely like the what if scenarios you know like because we've talked about decision-making, but there's definitely a big part of it, which is like, ah, yeah, that happened. And you get a different perspective on it. When you look back at 
at the kind of life that you've built for yourself do you do you ever feel like you maybe sacrifice things in a way that you might change if that makes sense well i'm only 40 so i'm like not that old but um how old are you i'm 44 okay so you only have four years on me so you'd been like a senior when i was a freshman um you know i think I think I wish the only thing that I'm like, I wish I would have been a little bit more knowledgeable about money. Like yeah, that, that's true. the only financial literacy is the only thing that I wish I had more of. And it's really cool that you can, that actually I think the whole GameStop thing is great because it opened a lot of people's eyes to the market that traditionally haven't, you know, invested their money. I'm really lucky. My, my husband like invests for a living. So I've learned a lot about banking and stock market but that's just not something we talked about or learned in school growing up. It wasn't talked about in my family. And my mom, I asked her, I was like, hey, what's the one thing you regret? And she's like, you know, I wish I had more financial literacy. Like, I always just thought money would come. I was like, oh, so thanks a lot. That's why I just thought money would come. Like, I kind of think I was almost raised like a trust fund kid without a trust fund. Like, I was like, oh, money will just come. And a lot of my friends, because I grew up in such a wealthy coastal area, they had trust funds. And so I saw that and, and you know, like, I just thought, you know, and, and I've been really lucky in my life. Like if I wanted to make money, I'd just go get a job and I would get paid. Like it's, it's been like that my whole life, but you know, you have so much energy and, and what, if you're going to be a creative and create something out of nothing, it takes a lot of energy. So uh, that's, that's where I'm like, you have to figure out a way to also monetize that. You know, if I could just be a surfer all day and I could monetize that. Well, heck, I probably would have done that by now because that's a pretty cool way to make a living. And I don't think it's easy for a professional athlete today. Like, I have a lot of respect for what they do. They do work hard. Um, podcasting, everybody's like, oh, that's the easiest job ever. I mean, it, <laughs> it's a lot of work. So, like, if you want to make money, if you want to be good at anything and make money, you know, it's going to take some work. I have some friends who work at corporations and they don't work that hard and they make a lot of money. I have some friends, but they sacrifice a lot. So, I think... Anything worth doing um, takes some effort. And, you know, we don't have a system that equally rewards effort. Like a cleaning leader or a gardener doesn't make the same money or makes a very different amount of income than like an attorney or a dentist. And maybe they had all this education, not. But we don't, we live in a society where effort is not necessarily rewarded equally. That, that's something that's always really challenged me. And that's part of why I quit my job a long time ago because I was like, I could be in this office fucking around looking at Facebook all day and I'm going to make the same amount as if I'm like doing PowerPoints all day grinding. And I thought that was really weird and so I only wanted to get paid like for actual work. I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> like I'm like, it's really nice. So, so I don't know really where I'm going with this except for like if you're going to be a creative and a freelancer – and the money thing is an issue. I just, you have to be aware of that. We all have different circumstances. And I remember I had this professor in journalism school and he was awesome and he had a nice house and he invited us to dinner and he wrote books. And I was like, I could just be like him and I'd have this nice life. And what I didn't realize until very later on is that his wife is the heir to the biggest banking fortune in the world. So he like was loaded. And and I think we just have to be transparent about, um, 
you know, I mean, we, you do need money to survive. So money is something that I just want to keep talking about a little bit more and make it a little bit more less taboo to talk about. You made a good point earlier when you said like you can have a podcast, but you also need to like sell and, you know, have a relationship with commerce as well. I mean, because, yeah, you're completely right. Like creativity and commerce go hand in hand. Like the greatest artists in the world had patrons, you know, that were hustling for money. Of course they were. Yeah, I I wish I could just work for free and I wish we didn't have a system where we had to get paid or not get paid, but like, we got to just do the best we can within the system we have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Shelby. I really cool, enjoyed man. That. We went all over the place. Yeah, well, that's normally how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even really tell you about Vitamin Joy, but... um, but you'll have away. to. Well, well, okay. I'm stumbling. <laughs> you know, I'm just really interested in health and wellness. Like I said, I've, I've struggled with mental health. It runs deep in my family. Uh, my mom's father committed suicide when she was eight. So like, you know, there's been a lot of death and tragedy and I'm really interested in humor because that's something that we've lost a bit as a society. And I just feel like I've tried every diet. I've tried all sorts of things, but the times I laugh are the times when I felt the most healthy. And so you know, there's all these like people talking about different hacks for health. And I'm like, no, you just need humor like that. Yes, you need to eat right. Yes, you need to breathe. Yes, you need to go to sleep and you have to have like good hygiene. But humor is just so important. So that's what I'm trying to explore on this new show, Vitamin Joy. You know, it's a work in progress. Like it's a little all over the place right now, but um, I'm finding my footing. And we've had some really good guests from comedian Fortune Feimster, Gabby Reese, Laird Hamilton's wife. I just did one on procrastination with this procrastination expert. I'm, I'm really interested in minimalism. Um, I think we reconnected and connected. So there's a lot that I'm exploring on that show. And I had an autoimmune condition that was turning my skin white. Like you can kind of see like a little spot. You can't really yeah, tell, okay. A little spot there. And I was like, what the fuck is happening on my face? Like really can't happen like on my like. <laughs> butt or like some other part of my body yeah yeah some obscure and i was like well i'm gonna have to like get really real about um my own health so that you know i don't have this autoimmune thing and and what i realized is like sometimes it just comes and sometimes it goes but if i'm stressed it will like like my face will just be like white like you'll be able to completely see it and really yeah it sucks it's same thing that michael jackson had he didn't just i mean i think he dyed his skin so that his vitiligo wouldn't be so noticeable. Vitiligo, um, that's what it's called, isn't it? And and, and yeah. that's a, that's a, you, you, sounds like that can be a stress-related thing. I mean, who knows? They, they have no idea. Like, it could be something right. very deep in your genes. But I know that if I have a lot of, like, anxiety or stress or, like, I'm really upset about inequalities in the world, like I just told you, like, I get really sad about, like, inequality in the world. I, if I internalize that, it just, it's, shows up in my skin and so i've had to get really real about you know not being about my skin about it's i think it's a big metaphor in life like one i can't hide behind it because it's on my face i could wear makeup i'm not the kind of person that's going to wear a lot of makeup it's just not me um so so yeah you just and if one day my face is like half white and half like splotchy then you know i just got to go with it that's hard especially as a woman a friend of mine's got it actually. 
and yeah it does it does he has flare-ups for sure like where sometimes is he dark no he's white yeah he's white yeah and and if i was darker you'd notice it more like i i'm normally like really tan like i look like i could be like and i'm not right now which is bummer because i really liked being really tan good job you you, good job you're on a call with me you're looking pretty brown (laughs) (laughs) thanks matt (laughs) always good to be with someone uh from the pond yeah nice and nice and pale some of the scottish gene that's uh, awesome wreaked havoc well thank (laughs) thank you for having me on and thank you for having such a cool photographer owen um and thanks for doing the work you do like i i just am so excited there's someone when I started Wild Ideas Worth Living, I was like, this is going to be an action sports outdoor podcast and no one's doing it for girls and guys. Um, and, and you know, my podcast has really turned more just outdoors, not so much out action sports because, well, REI does not sell skateboarding gear as much as, uh, you know, they sell outdoor gear. And, and it's been awesome working with REI. They have been, I'm so, I was so nervous about selling the podcast to them, but they have been absolutely incredible. I wrote sell podcast REI on my business plan that I, when I first started my, so it's just amazing that it worked wow. out and they wanted to buy it, but they are awesome. And they've given me, they've been bringing now guests to me. You, you know, I used to pick all the guests. Now they bring guests to me and I'm interviewing people that I never thought I would have interviewed. Like I'm interviewing the fastest blind man in the world. I interviewed um, this girl who was a birder. Like she started black birders week and I was like, how is this going to be interesting? And she was the most fascinating, awesome woman I think I've interviewed this year. I interviewed a free skier. I didn't really know a lot about free skiing. So they've been really cool. And uh, all I have to do is show up to a mic and record pretty much. Yes. So that's pretty sweet too. It's a pretty good gig. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, sweet definitely. gig. And then Vitamin Joy, I'm doing all the work from scratch. And uh, and then I started this podcast class because I would get like hit up for coffee every single day Shelby I'm starting a podcast can you help me and Johnny was like you cannot go to coffee with another person and like complain about like not making enough money you have to like build a class and then sell the class so that handles that because you're taking way too much time helping other people not helping yourself so I built this class with every single thing I've ever learned about podcasting I did recorded half of it live and then I re-recorded a lot of it so that it was everything I knew and and now people hit me up I'm like oh take the class here's the code that's a good idea yeah, it's been yeah. good, and I think it's helpful, and people like it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of podcasts out there right now. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've noticed. <laughs> there's a ton of podcasts, and it's it's hard to grow them now. It's a lot harder than it was four years ago. So, kudos to you yeah. for getting on it early. Yeah, that was that was lucky. Yeah, definitely. no, that was just intentional. So, good on you for doing that. Well, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. I know we found our rhythm a little bit later in this podcast. Sorry, I. I had to download Chrome, but now I have ah, fresh all, Chrome. All good. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to go for a surf? I'm going to go for a surf. It's pretty good. So there you go. That was me and Shelby, and I hope you enjoyed it. Really had a laugh doing that one. So grateful to Shelby for being so honest and open. I do really, really like those ones where, you know, I went into that with absolutely zero agenda. I've done a little bit of preparation, but I do really quite like letting those ones just unfold as they go really um because you know if nothing else it's just actually a bit more fun you know when you do the big names you got to prep you got to have you know you got to have your questions lined up you've got to hold three separate conversations at once you know the the conversation you're having with the person 
you reading the subtext, and then thirdly, you thinking the questions you're going to ask, it gets quite tiring mentally. So I quite like it when I can just kind of like relax and let it flow, if you like, as we did there. Anyway, to find out more about Shelby, make sure you listen to and subscribe to her own shows, Wild Ideas Worth Living and Vitamin Joy through all your usual podcast purveyors and make sure you follow her over on Instagram at Shelby Stanger. So if you enjoyed this episode, then here's a thought. Why not consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcast? Bloody hell, how 2019 does that sound? I actually had a look on Apple Podcasts the other day for the first time in months. And it turns out if you don't prompt people to leave reviews, they don't leave them. And if you don't prompt people to share episodes on social media, they don't really do that either. So you know, you could leave a review, you could share on social media, it all helps. And if you do decide to show some love in this way, then thanks a lot for the support. You can find full show notes for this one and the full back catalogue over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. Also, if you go to my Instagram at welooksideways on the bio, there's all manner of links on there, blogs, newsletters, old episodes, YouTube channels. Yeah, go and have a look at We Look Sideways. All right, housekeeping corner. It's a short one. I'll keep it short, but you know, it's tradition. And yet you probably spotted this if you're uh, keen-eyed, but that was episode 149, which means that episode 150 is around the corner, as in next week. Now, I'm a big fan of celebrating these little podcast milestones. 150 episodes, more if you count all the type two and bonus episodes, probably getting on for 190 really in real money i mean it represents quite a lot of work on my part i'm going to be honest four years worth but a lot of hours of free shit that i've put out into the world during that time so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna celebrate that i think that's fair enough originally i'd planned to do an event to celebrate 150 but yeah, that didn't happen for reasons we all know why. The event is still something I am planning. Kind of got to wait and see what unfolds as 2021 gathers pace first. So, you know, had to work out a way of marking this auspicious occasion. I did ask people over at Instagram, there it is again, at We Look Sideways, who they wanted to hear from for episode 150. Now, unsurprisingly, there were a lot of suggestions for very, very, very famous people. Kelly Slater, Tony Hawk, Tom Penny, Jerry Lopez, etc., etc. All worthy shouts. And I did collect them in a list for future reference. But in the end, I decided to do something completely different for episode 150, which is to interview a couple of my best mates instead. So as I did for episode 100, I'm going to release two episodes at once. 150A with my old mucker, Ed Lee, which will actually make this his third appearance on the show. Ed was my guest for episode one and also for episode 50. So I figure it's quite fitting to bring him back for episode 150. And then I'll also be releasing episode 150B, with my right-hand man, Owen Tozer. Yeah, I finally persuaded Owen to come on the show at about the 18th time of asking. Now, 
there's a couple of people that I've asked to come on the show a lot and, and and they always turn me down. And at this point, I just kind of do it for a laugh, really. Ben Howard is one of them. I think he's probably turned me down now about 10 times. He is a mate of mine. Doesn't want to do it. Um, but, I mean, he's never going to do it probably, but I keep asking him and he keeps saying no. Jack Johns is somebody else who I um, have asked a few times and who keeps saying no and who I keep asking just for a laugh, even though I know he's going to say no. And Owen is one of them. But he said yes this time. I think he only agreed to it because we finally finished a Looking Sideways book. And so we'll have something specific to chat about. But he has agreed to it. So I'm really looking forward to that one. And uh, and I'm really looking forward to generally hitting this new milestone. 150 episodes. It's a big moment. And uh, I make no apologies for celebrating it, really. If you're into the show and if you're listening at this point, I'm guessing you probably are and a, a fan and you want to help me celebrate this milestone, I'd be really grateful if you could post about it on social and share a favourite episode. That always, always helps more people become aware of the show. I get a lot of correspondence from listeners. I'm very, very fortunate. People email me at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. They send me messages at we look sideways on Instagram. Um, people leave me little messages when they donate to the podcast. Basically, I'm very, very fortunate to have um, people contact me a lot and tell me about the podcast and what it means to them, which I'm always really, really grateful for. And quite often people say, how can we help? Because we're we're aware that you don't do ads and all that stuff. Excuse me. Um, I just My chair just slipped down, hence the little pause. So I'm now currently craning my neck to reach the microphone. Anyway... If that sounds like you and you have enjoyed the work that I've been doing over the last four years and tens of thousands of hours, then yeah, share it. That'd be great. I'd really appreciate that because it really, really does help get more ears on the show. Incidentally, I'm aware that there's probably quite a few listeners a bit disappointed in my choice of guests for episode 150 because, you know, they might have been expecting a global superstar double header like the McCaskill Muller double whammy that marks episode 100 that nicholas muller episode hasn't aged well has it christ almighty but i probably will revisit that approach for episode 200 but you know for this one i quite like the idea of chatting to a couple of friends i mentioned it to my friend james joiner and he was like yeah that's pretty on brand for looking sideways and i think he's right um, you know, those two people, Owen and Ed, are integral to the entire Looking Sideways tale. So I think they're two very, very fitting guests. Um, and, you know, I've talked before about the the politics of booking guests, if you like. And like I said, yeah, the big names always, always get more guests. I've said this loads of times over the months. More guests, more listeners. Sorry, forgive me. I'm going to keep that in. They always get more listeners. But it doesn't mean they're that, that always the most interesting. And, you know, for me, a real joy is when I get the excuse to speak to friends for the show. So that's what I'm going to do this time. It's my show. I can do what I want. So that's what I'm going to do. All right. That's it for this week. Big thanks for listening to this little installment of Housekeeping Corner and this episode. And I'll be back next week for that aforementioned episode 150 double header. See you then.